is good ladies and germs welcome to another episode of chn radio it is your boy elijah here joined by you know i don't know i don't know if we can we can give him the title of best damn co-host in the land yet (laughs) but an all-around good guy joshua joshua how are you doing i'm doing well i'm doing well i think best co-host is something that needs to be earned and this is my second episode that's but fair. Elijah, we will get there. I'm I'm certain of it. I do want to apologize if my voice is raspy. I've uh, got three sick kids at home, and so I am doing my darndest to fight this cold, and I may take intermittent mute pauses uh, to, to cough and hack my way through this, but I will do my best not to leave that on the track. Hey, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just glad you're fighting through this injury, you know. <laughs> Some players aren't built like you. You're, you're built different. So I'm the um, early Holland of fathers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, real quick, let's, let's do a quick promo. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at chn underscore podcast. Um, I think last week I said chn underscore radio. So again, it's a uh, it's preseason for for me right now. I've been just dropping the ball. The ads got messed up the last one. I don't really know how that happened, uh, but who knows? The ads got messed up. Then I forgot to do the questions tweet. So just just treat me like the refs in the beginning of the season for the Premier League. Like I'm going to make some mistakes. Some people will complain, but eventually it'll get sorted. You know, this international break, I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, and then we've got the main account at Coming Home in UFC. Uh, give those a follow. Uh, check out stuff on the site. Um, just been Antonio has been flinging out articles left and right. I feel bad for not writing so. Uh, please read what he's been writing. It's been good stuff. He wrote a piece on PSG, and I would recommend everyone read it. Um, and then you can follow me at Elijah underscore Newsome. Joshua, you got anything to plug? Yeah, um, you may want to look for a poll. I'm going to ask for you to put out, Elijah, um, oh. from, from the Twitter handle here in the next week or so. I want to write my first article for the website, but I'm going to write. Uh, I'm a historian by nature. And I love uh, football history. So I'm going to choose uh, three players from Newcastle's past. And we'll put out a poll. And uh, whatever the whatever the winner is of the poll is, I'll write the history article, the bio on that particular player. Um, I think that's a, kind of a cool hobby. And I think with the uh, influx of, let's be honest, like I've supported this team for a long time. You've been doing this podcast for a good while. Um, yeah. But let's welcome some of these new followers. Let's welcome some of these new supporters of Newcastle United. And yeah. they may not know the pedigree and the history of, of the club. They may not know the last time they won the Ferris cup in 1969 or, you know, Facts. the la- the last time they won, you know, when they, when they did win the FA cup in the fifties. Right. Um, or that Newcastle United was one of the like 
probably the most successful team at the turn of, of the, uh, the 20th, uh, century, uh, yeah. from the 19th to 20th century, they were an absolute powerhouse, but we don't, we don't often see that history shared and we don't see that history out there. So I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to share those stories, uh, from our website. Yeah, that's going to be great. Um, I'm looking forward to reading everything. Um, Joshua and I just spent a lengthy amount of time talking about stuff and, his take on history is one thing that I'm looking forward to as well as someone who likes to follow history and and just hear how other people interpret and hear the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that for sure. Um, so I guess we should talk about match day eight. Newcastle had the mighty Bournemouth, 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 Bournemouth. Again. Yeah, sure. Not good with pronunciations. Long time <laughs> listeners know that I've mispronounced pretty much every single premier league team at this point. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting one. It was a weird weekend for Premier League. Uh, as we mentioned in the last pod, the Queen died, so there's a new king in town, I guess, in England. Yeah. I, I don't know. That, that, that's a, that's How about that? I said. Yeah. Um, and so that meant there were some cancellations, and then there were some special things that occurred during the match. Uh, so for Newcastle, uh, we had uh, the owners pay uh, homage or homage. Uh, which one is it? Is it homage or homage um i've always said homage okay yes i've paid homage to uh the queen there was a moment of silence in the beginning and then they played i guess it's now god save the king which i didn't know that was a thing i i I didn't realize that it just because i mean my whole life there's only been a queen right exactly and for for most people i was gonna say yeah there's there's very few people who can remember the last monarch (laughs) so yeah so yeah yeah um and so it's now god save the king but i I don't know josh is it god save the queen in that in that instance because it was to honor the the queen who you know i'm not even gonna get into it but they played the song um and uh, and the, the players stood around in a circle, and it was very odd because Newcastle is now a team that doesn't have that many like you know English-born players. Uh, like they've got they've got you know a few Scots, you know, folks from yeah, Scotland, yeah. and then like for the most part, like it's like I think they're at, like forty-five or fifty percent of the team is foreigners. They're like right at the threshold that you have to be like in order to still field a Premier League team. So and and for sure, the majority of the starters are not. Uh, English show is very weird situation for them to be in, but yeah. Eddie Howe wore a suit and then magically the suit disappeared. But uh, I don't know, Josh, have you got any thoughts on the pre-match atmosphere? Uh, I think, uh, I think we just got a new t-shirt jingle. Eddie Howe wears a magic suit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's Yeah. It, um, it was fascinating where it was yeah. just like, I saw him in the suit and I was like, Oh, it looks nice. And then probably like 10 minutes into the match, I looked up and I was like, "Wait, he's in a tracksuit! Like, did he just change?" He's magic. I will tell you, there are some there are some bosses that I, when I look at them, I I genuinely appreciate the dress code. I you know I see some of them who dress up in in the full suit with the tie. Usually, it's the Italians, you know, that do the mm-hmm. full suit with the black tie, and they look good. Or I think, Spaniards, or Spaniards, right? I was going to say. Yeah. Unai, Unai Emery, when we were mm-hmm. possibly going to bring him on, um, who was the other, who was the, what would, we were like, I mean, I think he got on the plane. Who was the guy that was the coach of, he was out of work, but he was like the most previous coach of, I think like Rayo Vallecano, I think. Oh yes. I, I, I don't, I don't remember who you're talking, like the name, but yeah. I definitely remember. Yeah. He was a, he was a good looking fella. He was a good looking yeah. fella. He was definitely, he definitely dressed up, but there's something to be said 
for the tracksuit coach, right? Like the tra- yeah. the tra- the tracky. Uh, you know, he, he gets the job done too. So I, I definitely appreciate that, uh, about, about Eddie Howe, um, the pre-match atmosphere. I mean, look, we weren't there, right? So we're not as privy. We're not as privy to how it felt as say some of the, the Newcastle based podcasts and a lot of those people who were at the match, um, they were explaining in detail, just, it felt dead. It didn't feel the same. Um, war flags wasn't there out of respect or maybe not out of respect, just maybe out of, um, consideration, still a nice way to put it. There was a definite concern of conflict of interest and, you know, and and I don't think Newcastle is the type of town where there'd be, uh, an anti Royals, but just to avoid any misinterpretation of, Mm. of that. So uh, for whatever reason, I I didn't actually reach out to war flags and ask, and I didn't get a a succinct answer, but they were not there. Um, So I don't mean to speak for them, but for whatever reason, they weren't there. And that was sorely missed. And I think also what I was hearing was that typically at a, at a pregame pre-match atmosphere, music is being played piped through Mm -hmm. the system regularly, like super loud hero and everything. Yeah. Great stuff. Right. It wasn't this time. It wasn't, it was super quiet. Like it was dead. And I think that having that get the crowd up and get the crowd pumping and and feeling the vibe and the energy in the stadium, I think that was missing um, from the park. And I think the players realized it too. And, And I think that's, I wouldn't say that they came out flat. Right. But in hindsight, when you, when you collect the full 90 in your, like your mind's eye, this game was not exciting. And I think that it all started off like with that bad vibe. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about, you know, the play, the play didn't help either, but I, I would agree with that. I think the first time we saw uh, like a kind of a roar was uh, probably about the 25th or 26th minute when Trippier had his free kick and mm-hmm. you know, I think he hit the post. And so I think that was the first time we saw a little bit of liveliness and then, um, probably later on after Newcastle tied. But other than that, I mean, like, I would agree with that. I did. I, it, it is interesting because I, for, I've been running this Newcastle account, I guess both of them for years at this point. And one thing that's ever, that's been pretty consistent is that there is, a, I would say the Newcastle fan base, maybe like all of England. I don't know if it's representative of all of England because I only follow mostly Newcastle people. Hmm. Um, it's very, it's very split on how they view the Royals. Um, and of course, as an American, like I, I, you know, I don't really have a right to, to speak. I think on the last pod, I kind of said like, it just, I don't really care that much because it's not my country. Yeah. So I, I can't have, I, I can't, you know, be mad at people for showing respect and I can't, you know, put myself in the shoes of people who don't rock with the Royals. But for me, I'm not a part of a country that has a monarchy. So, you know, it's different. Um, but there were a few tweets um, I saw. Uh, I'd say way more tweets than you were mentioning. Uh, I, but I saw a lot of tweets that were very much in the vein of this was so respectful. Newcastle fans are great. I want to say during the meet, uh, the, during the week, uh, there was, let's say it was Liverpool uh, had hosted a team. There was a couple of like European games that had to happen in England, and the, the the same aura of respect wasn't shown. But again, that's you can't control those environments because you've got traveling fans mm-hmm. from other countries that don't care. It's it's this different vibe. Like UEFA is not doing the whole let's be solemn and pay our respects. It's very much like 
we have a match to play. We've got an international broadcast. We have hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. Get the match going. Yeah, um, the game plays on. Altogether. So I don't know. It is, but I, I do agree. I think, you know, came out a bit flat. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate because it's just, as we'll talk about, it's the first, it's the last match in, in quite some time. So you were kind of hoping for like what we said, you know, Newcastle kind of get a nice big win get some good spirits going in an international break. And unfortunately that wasn't the case. Um, and typically right now we would do like a three words right before all of this. But again, I'm dropping the ball, forgot to do the three words. So, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we'll get our rhythm. We'll get our rhythm. Yeah, we'll, um, I, we'll, I could give you, I'd give you one word. I'll give you okay. one word. Disappointed. Okay. Uh, Disappointed. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm curious. Yeah, that's it's it's fascinating. So I wanted. I'm definitely excited to hear more about that. So, I'm um, going into injuries. I think there was a little bit of hope given the the additional kind of free week of rest that we would get Alan C. Maxman back. Um, and I honestly wasn't expecting like a Callum Wilson to be back to be back because I felt like that was going to be. Um, it, it felt like when that injury was announced that it was going to be uh, out till the international yeah. break. Um, yeah. So I wasn't expecting him to be back. I was honestly a little shocked that Alan St. Maxman wasn't available. Yeah, know. I was under the impression he was coming back, right? I wasn't yeah. I wasn't expecting um I wasn't expecting Elliot Anderson to be to be out injured, that's for sure. Uh so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that was a that was a knock and niggle, you know, one of okay. those. Okay, okay, it, yeah, it so happens. That, not not serious at all. I mean it I mean I'm not going to say like clearly not, but like it wasn't serious yeah. to the extent of he's, you know, at U21s right now with, with Scotland. So he's, he's fine. Um, I think it's more precautionary, but yes, Elliot Anderson was probably the most surprising name on the list. I think it was very odd. There were so many Newcastle fans that were expecting Callum Wilson to be back. And I was like, I, I, I don't know where you're no. getting your information or it was very odd that that was, maybe but, it was yeah. hope. Maybe it was just hope. <laughs> it must've been hope. Um, and then Bruno <laughs> was of course back. Uh, but I, was he, but was he really like he was, he was there and he played, but uh, no, I and, think that's nothing to do with injury. My, 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 whew, that has nothing to do with injury. That is, I think I, I might've alluded this on the podcast. If you follow the account, I've been saying this for a while. Yeah, like I on. would much rather Newcastle just for the time being, because I've seen Bruno play for Brazil. Okay. I've got friends who are South American football reporters. This is what they do. They told me what you need to know about Bruno is that play him, at, play him as an eight. And when Newcastle did last season, mm-hmm. five goals in half a season. That So far this season, just be, due to injury, he's only played as a six. And he's just been way less effective. He clearly had you know, probably his worst game in a Newcastle shirt. Yeah. But I do think part of that is just he wants to play as an eight. And I think he's much better as an eight. I think he's a much more of a threat when he's tasked with carrying the ball forward, you know, playing in some of those through balls in the final third that Newcastle have been missing all season. He plays some killer through balls um, in the final third, like in and around the, the box uh, last season. And just Newcastle don't have that that quality right now. And Joe Willick, bless his heart, but he's just not been good enough to justify continuing to start so um yeah yeah. that was the 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 quick the quick uh injury update um real quick i I can take us through the starting lineup just so we're all on the same page who newcastle put out uh sven botman was on the bench which i think was a little bit of a shock for folks uh nick pope and goal that that's you know a given trippier uh share dan burn uh matt target uh honestly not a bad match from any of the four in the back line if we're being completely honest i think 
we'll see. We're mm-hmm. sure you have thoughts. Uh, Joe Willock and Joe Linton were the eights. Uh, Bruno was a six. Miggy on the left, Isak in the middle, and Fraser on the right. Um, and that's what Newcastle rolled out with. Uh, and then Bournemouth, uh, they went with uh, Neto and Goals and Morris and Nessie, Mepham, Smith as their back line. Uh, Cook, Lerma, Christie, Billing, Tavernier, midfield, and then Solanke up top. So, you know, pretty standard from Bournemouth uh, with Gary O'Neill as their interim manager. I think this is his third match in charge. Yeah. No, um, yeah, he's got a win in, in this I mean, not to bury the lead, but this was a draw, right? So he's got a, yeah. he's got a, his. I think he's got to win a draw and this draw as well. And it's not a bad record um, for Gary O'Neill to come out. Um, yeah, yeah. So when you're an interim, it's like you know, there's especially this early in the season. I think there's the assumption that you're probably not going to be the head coach. Um, yeah, but, but if you but if you want it, the number one way yeah. to get it is to oh, not yeah. lose. And that's and he's uh, you know he's done he's done that so far. Um, yeah. Have have Bournemouth looked necessarily better? I mean, I don't hmm. know, but um, you know, he's he's gotten them still, you know, kind of in the mix to not immediately seal their fate as a team that's going to go down. Um, so I don't know, Josh. You want to want to talk about the match? Anything yeah. that stuck out to you? I consumed this match three different ways uh, on on game day or match day. I listened to it on the radio as I was, you know doing things around the house and uh, making breakfast and, and whatever. So I had, I had a NUFC.com. You can, you can go there. You can, you can grab it on the radio. Sometimes you can go to BBC sounds and you can dial it into local Newcastle BBC radio and you can listen for free either way. So I usually, my match days are usually listening to it on the radio. Um, and especially so if it's not on Peacock, if I, you know, if I, I don't have every single streaming option. So the second yeah, way. Oh, I, and by the way, Joshua, yeah. this is something I did not realize until um, there's a YouTuber I follow who makes like FIFA content. He mentioned this. Apparently it's like, like it's crazy expensive to stream matches um, in the UK. Like I didn't realize that. Like it's, it's actually, they don't have like a. Peacock is somewhat affordable. Like it's what I think it's what nine ninety nine, seventy nine nine a month. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's something along those lines. It's it's ten bucks or less a month, which you know, given all of the Premier League matches, sands a couple, which uh, that are on cable. Like you, you get pretty much every Premier League match and all the replays. It's a great deal, and then also like legitimate content from nbc slash universal oh, there's, yeah there's great there's great peripheral yeah, shows office, yeah. tons of shows absolutely you know, absolutely yeah. so it's, it's a great deal but uh, in like the uk they don't really have anything like that like that at that's all it's, it's incredibly expensive um so that's just a very odd thing of that i, I was like we're yeah, so I, fortunate I understand why people yeah. want to go to the match like <laughs> oh, well absolutely yeah absolutely i mean that's a whole different uh conversation that we could have about major league soccer attempting to squeeze people into into that by blacking out local broadcasts and forcing people to go to the matches. Um, but that's, that's for a different that's American sports in general. That's for, that's for a different, yeah, that's, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I listened to it on the radio on match day and then the following day I watched it on replay on Peacock. Right. Mm-hmm. And then this morning, just while well, I was preparing my notes, I watched the highlight package. Um, I will tell you this game was more exciting on the radio than it was to actually watch it. And <laughs> yeah, and I think John Anderson does, does a good job of getting you so excited. Um, and it sounded like Newcastle seemed dangerous right out of the gate. So 
Bournemouth conceding possession, but picking out opportunities for counterattack, right? And it's that counterattack that Bournemouth had that opened up the pitch for Newcastle to be exploratory. They were given opportunities by the, by Bournemouth stretching the field early to 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 boss the possession. Yes, they they bossed the possession. I think they had over sixty percent by the end of the first half, but because Bournemouth hadn't scored yet, they were still opening up. And so there were there were options in the channels that there just weren't in the second half, and we'll get to that. Um, yeah. And so Newcastle did have opportunities, and and uh, but conversely, Bournemouth had opportunities too. So uh, Tavernier looked um, he looked the most dangerous of uh, probably in the probably in the first stanza um, with you know shots on you know shots uh, on on goal, um, but it wasn't until the twenty seventh minute I felt like. Like we ha- we we had some exciting moments, but it was um, Trippier's shot off the off the post in the twenty seventh minute, where, like you said, all of a sudden, the you know St James Park livens up a little bit. Like you could hear it on the radio, you could you could feel it that all of a sudden this is really taking. It isn't just the announcers that are alive, but the stadium's coming to life as well. And um, you know, and there was some good play. I would say it's so easy to breeze through this first half, right? Because it wasn't until what, uh, Joelinton, Joelinton's, um, shot off the post. I mean, there's this yeah, 40 second minute. Yeah. Three 40 second, in a yeah. Row off the it corner. was, that was lit. Like for me, yeah. I was, I was stressing, like, how is this not a goal? It's on the radio. I was absolutely befuddled. They, they, they do their very best. So it wasn't until oh, I yeah. watched, watched it back and I go, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, freaking it, out a little yeah. bit. So, but I, you got to give uh, you got to give Neto um, his credit due, right? Like those are incredible saves that he had there. Yeah, yeah, and you talk about. I mean, it's it's so early in the season uh, at this point, uh, but uh, you know, like when you're when you're a team in which you know, Bournemouth didn't do a lot to improve. Um, you know, Neto was was one of those improvements. I'm um, getting in him getting him in from from Barcelona. Um but he he's he he's I think it's one of those where similar to Dubrovka in the past uh, couple of seasons for Newcastle like sometimes there are there are results that just happen because you have a keeper that is is good. And I think this is one of those for Bournemouth. Newcastle had a lot of shots on target. Um and there were some crazy saves that he had to make. Um not saying Newcastle deserved to win by any means. Um because like expected goals, et cetera, all that. Like mm-hmm. you have to convert chances, but I did. It did feel to me like this is the other side of what I experienced as a Newcastle fan, where you know, especially in the Rafa era, where it felt like every single match against a team in the top ten was bunker down. You know, maybe first fifteen minutes you try to make a goal, get some play super expansive, bunker down, like try to you know hold on to halftime, halftime, come out of there first 15 minutes, come out firing, you know, try to nick a goal to, so that you can just sit back and just play five at the back and defend for the last 30 minutes. And that's kind of how this game went for, for Bournemouth as well. Like going into the second half, there was some stuff that, you know, there were, there was a little bit of opportunity for Bournemouth. It was a little bit lively to start The first 10 minutes were a little bit exciting, way more expansive, but then, kind of settled into this lull of like 
Bormuth was like, all right, we're going to play 10 guys behind the ball, and then you're going to have to see if you can break us down, especially after they scored. Um, I think they scored in the 62nd minute yeah, uh, yeah. off of a counter. I don't know, Josh, you want to talk about, about Yeah, it? I'd say I, I'd say in the second half, I think one of the, the first opportunities missed was Frazier unable to yeah. sort of finish that curler, you know, from he was from the left side of the box trying to curl it into the far post. Yeah. And it just it just didn't do the curl, right? Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the goalkeeper. It wasn't Neto doing anything. It was just Fraser not finishing. And I think that's sort of like, yeah, there were some great saves, but there were some also like absolute duds, right? There was, um, I think Shar had one at some point in the match where he just like, it wasn't even on frame. And well, no, he had, he had three shots from distance that well, I, none of them were right? remotely close. <laughs> right. And so it's like, he's worked for him a couple times in the past. And as a historian, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but uh, you know, now he's, he's ruined the statistical likelihood of it by taking three of those from distance that weren't successful. <laughs> oh, he shot himself in the foot there. I would say, yeah, like you said, I got 61st, 62nd minute Bournemouth, and it was billing, right? And I had warned you guys about billing last week in, in, yeah. the, in the episode. All of it. And, uh, and, and he got loose. He got, he got loose in the box. And it, he just, you know, it was great service. I can't remember who got the assist on that one, but it was great service in. Um, and he just got that, he got that boot out just enough to sort of graze it past, uh, past Pope. And I mean, he was just sort of stuck in his tracks. There was nothing Pope could do about that. I don't want, and I don't think that I've heard anyone blame Pope on that one. He was just sort of yeah. like, it was just in betwixt and in between. There's nothing he could do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was it though. Like, so Bournemouth get that goal. Yeah. And it was a nice one, right? A- against the run of play, really. And yeah, no, 100%. It, again, it felt like Newcastle of past of like, we get a counter, someone does something cool, we score. And then it's just like squeaky bum time until the end. And inevitably, like we give up a goal and it's a draw. And you're like, all right, I'm happy with the draw away from home. And by the way, the person assisting was Zamora who if we're giving like unsung heroes for Bournemouth, I thought he had a great, great matches. He did. It's just he, like, just he had a, a couple lot great of creativity. Runs. Oh yeah. yeah. A ton of creativity from, from that fullback position. And it's just like, he's, he's one to keep your eye on. I think that he's, he's one where if he keeps up his play with Bournemouth throughout the season, he could be another one, you know, regardless if they go down or stay up, that gets bought by, a mid table or higher club. I just, he just has that, that vibe of like signing fullback, <laughs> attacking fullbacks right, yeah. right now. There's I just can been, see Everton overspending on him like, next year. Like, Tariq Lamptey was this, was the same way of like, yeah. just so exciting, fun to watch. Like you just knew that someone was going to try to snap him up. Like he's always going to be someone that people are like, Oh, we should give that guy a go, you know? So but yeah, as you were saying, well, I would, yeah. And I would say it was at that point where, I had mentioned the first half and maybe even for the first um, 15 minutes of the second half, we saw that those channels were open. We saw, yeah, the, I mean, you, you mentioned they were shutting it down, but not really. Like they were still, they were still seeking that goal. And I think yeah. once they got that goal, that's when they clamped down. But also oh, yeah. that's when we see Jefferson uh, in the 64th minute um, that Jefferson learned my handball. And if it yeah. wasn't for that, handball we might not have seen a newcastle goal to be honest with you oh yeah for sure and and even then like i know some of the nbc guys didn't think it was a handball i i personally thought it was a handball i thought like regard i know everything's in quick time but just again everything looks different when you slow it down but he for sure he raises his arm from a natural position to an unnatural position i think you can you can tell the difference in opinion um based on who who actually has played soccer 
Yeah. And anyone that's been in his position will will say, okay, well, um, anyone who's analyzed the game will look at it and be like, oh no, it's he's he's it's in an it's in a natural position because he's re, he's reacting to the ball. But if you've yeah. ever been in the box and having a uh, having a ball kicked in your general direction, you're protecting yourself. Your natural inclination is to reflexively gesture out. Um, yeah. Even even at the last minute. You could see it in slow in slow motion, and, and I hope it's not my bias as a supporter. But I still, I, I really truly believe that at the last second, if you look, his arm, and maybe he even he doesn't do a big one, but he kind of he kind of gestures out with his arm, not yeah. maybe even intentionally, but it's that movement. I think is what the ref saw is that just that little shrug, you know? Yeah, and I think, and I think that's what I think that's what did him in. No, same. I, I agree with that one hundred percent. And it's like being in that position before having been stuck at right back or, you know, kind of that fullback position before like of having to come across and, and stop a ball going in like naturally, like, and again, it's, it's one of those where it's, it's human nature. Like, like everything in your brain is telling you fight or flight to like do whatever it takes to prevent this ball from passing you. And just unfortunately in, in, in football, you cannot use your arm to do that. Uh, right, you right. Use everything but it, and so it's it's like you know whether or not it's fair or not. It's it, that's beside the point. Like the rules of the game dictate. It doesn't matter if like it was a reflex or whatever. Unless the ball was kicked from two inches out from him and he could not move his arm out of the way. Yeah, it's just going to be ruled as a handball, and it was. Um, so. Yeah, that's, what, that's I, what I thought was particularly interesting about the the next series of events was the maturity of, of Trippier to concede that penalty to Isak. Mm-hmm. Um, to Trippier, me, I want to say Bruno was in the mix as well. Of just it was okay. a few players in that in that yeah. vicinity. Yeah, I mean, but you know, for them, for Isak to end up with the ball and say, "No, I got this," and and, uh, and to give it a good lash and and get and get his goal. Honestly, like any of them would have been fine. But I feel really comfortable having the captain do that, you know, like that's my preference. My preference is, you know, it's as good as gold when it's Kieran, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see Isaac sort of like take the reins on and, and, and maybe own some responsibility. But what, but most importantly, here's the thing that I've heard for years and years is that um, a sign of uh, a sign of a really good forward is selfishness, right? Yeah. He wants that because he wants the goal. He, and yeah, so we yeah. we want him to be selfish. We yeah. we want him to get all the goals. We want him to be angry enough to take to take those away. Not to maybe create controversy within the within the squad, but we want him to be like, no, I got this, and to back it up. And he backed it up. So the next time that that conversation happens, there's not even it will never be controversial because we know any of them could back it up. No, and again, it's one of those where um, there's two things I took for that one that latter point was not even the first point I was going to make, but I want to address that is that's 1000% true. Um, you always like, it's, it's way better when you have a number nine, that's confident enough or any sort of player. That's like, I want this penalty. And, you know, again, there's that maturity aspect that you talked about of, of Trippier and, and Bruno and whoever else was involved um, to, you know, concede that because ultimately that's what players want as well. You want that number nine to be, you know, I want to take this. I want to score. I need to see the ball in the back of the net because you kind of know, like, especially with strikers, like if if they see the ball in the back of the net, that's always better than 
them going with any sort of goal-scoring drought. I mean, you saw it with Chris Wood last year. You saw it with Joe Linton when he was playing as a nine. Like, the longer they go without seeing the ball in the back of the net off of their foot or their head right. or their, their right. shoulder, or if you're Clint Dempsey, your, your penis, like, who knows? Uh, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just that they need that visual to keep them going, and you, you want that. And, you know... That that's beautiful to see, and I, I mean, I immediately think to like, I'm an Atlanta United fan. Folks listening for a long time know this. Like Joseph Martinez is the same way. Like if he's on the pitch, he's taking the penalty. Like the only time I've seen him give up a penalty was Miguel Marin had an opportunity when he's Atlanta United to get a hat trick, and there was like a penalty in the 80th minute, and Joseph was like, "You take it. Like you first ever professional." hat trick like you take that like that's an opportunity for you i want that for you and yeah. that's because they're 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 like they're best friends uh that that's that's the only time i've seen him concede and it's like you know over the course of his time in mls he's been known as like one of the best goal scorers one of the most like just like wants it wants it wants it and like that's that mentality you want from any striker the second thing is that to me it was funny to like feel like I was laughing. We were like, oh, you know, you want your captain to take it where because I mean, and Joshua, you can attest to this. Until we had Callum Wilson, like, I feel like again, newer Newcastle fans, we talked about this. You guys did not know the struggle of Newcastle not having anyone who could take pens. Like I Joshua, I, I don't know if you remember this as well as I do, but I just remember like every I mean Matt Ritchie missing pens. Just yeah. all the time. Like, yeah. it was so, you know, it, Joel Linton didn't take him. Hostile. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there was John no Joe to John Joe, maybe. He's, John, was, I mean, and John Joe missed pins at times. It was most most often, it was either John Joe or Matt Ritchie. And, it, like, you know, it was, it was never, it didn't matter who it was. You never felt confident about someone taking pins until Calvin Wilson took his first pen. And then, like, I think he damn near broke the net with with the ball and you're like okay i feel comfortable with someone with pins and that was like we had one guy we felt comfortable taking penalties with that was it like alan st maxman i don't think you people even have been hit to this he hasn't taken like a free kick opportunity he may have taken one or two he hasn't taken a penalty for newcastle like he's not been a, a guy who's established himself as a set piece guy as well so it was callum wilson until we got trippy yeah. yeah and now you've got bruno and now you've got you know even Matt Target standing over the ball at times, and that's a whole discussion as well. But you're, there's options, and I remember like like seeing free kicks from distance and Sean Longstaff standing over it, and it's like, all right, well, this doesn't provide me with any sort of confidence. So no. that to me is the funny thing was like, all right, we now are in a spot where there's options and there's three players on the pitch you feel comfortable taking penalties. Um, so yeah, it's a, yeah, we're we're in a we're in a great era. I mean, we've got some great players out there. Um, but we're missing pieces, you know. So yeah. the, the rest of this, the rest of this match, I mean, we could be summed up in maybe two talking points here. So basically, like you now have thirty minutes, essentially, of of, of Bournemouth flattening, um, compressing the spaces in between their their three lines, and sort of becoming, you know, 10, 10 behind the ball. Um, mm-hmm. Every once in a while, they'd get a they'd break out on a counter, but I don't even think they went full full out on those counters either. You know, you'd have three or four players that would launch into the counter, but you didn't have the full you know the full forward momentum into that counter. They weren't they weren't desperate for the win. They were happy 
with the draw and would take would take that goal if, if it came their way. But mostly you just saw Newcastle unable to unlock uh, the channels. They could not get through the middle. They're passing the ball all across the top of the D, back and forth and back and forth in the attacking third. Tons of possession. Um, and and you, you could see them going back and forth and doing um, – you know, laying the ball off into the corner and just lots of lots of um, centering centering balls and and crosses in. But for for the love of God, like they don't bring wood in until what the 80, 81st? Like they yeah. don't. If that was like if you knew twenty minutes, how do you know? I guess the I guess the question is how do you know, right? I guess the hope is that you've seen Isaac create enough that he might create something, but. I would have, I mean, I don't know. Eddie Howe is the, is the boss and far be it from me to think that I know more about football than this guy. But, you know, there's some, I, I've just, you know, some Newcastle supporters are with me and thinking maybe we could have given Wood a little bit more than nine minutes to figure something out there. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this. I think there's a, there's two things. One, this is, uh, and Joshua and I talked about this kind of briefly in the beginning and, and off air as well. Uh, it's just this was one of the first matches in which Newcastle has to get used to. Like you, you are now a team in which you know you're a team that Newcastle were trying to nick points off of right, two right. years ago. So this comes with the territory, and we saw a little bit of it, like a small snippet of it last season. And um, you know, and because Nottingham Forest were just not a team and who knows if they actually are a team still um, in the beginning of the season when we played them, we didn't really see it there. They were just so unorganized and just dysfunctional that like, like you saw a fairly open game. And even then you could argue that Newcastle should have won that game for or match four nil, five nil, et cetera. I mean, because there were so many opportunities, but um, they just have not shown the ability to break down teams. And this was something that kind of came up a little bit. Like I said, last season um, when Newcastle went on that run was like some of the draws that you look back and you're like, okay, these are, we're getting draws against the team that just were below us in the table. Just sat back a little bit uh, and didn't allow Newcastle to to press and, and win the ball back in dangerous positions and really try to hit you on the counter. And, and Eddie doesn't, he's, he's kind of expressing, I don't want to be a straight up counterattacking team. He wants to be able to have possession. Well, you're having the opportunity now to, to perform with, the bulk of the ball and there are teams that have gotten used to it. Um, I, I love when man city, even though I see it with Newcastle sometimes like man city, like they treat as a a chess match at times where like you see, you know, some of the subs that Eddie could have made earlier in the match. Like Pep will make a sub like that. He will bring on an extra forward and take off a defender because he's like, well, clearly we're not going to be doing a lot of defending. So I'm just going to throw, you know, Silva at you and and now you have to deal with another dynamic player that has right, ability right. to to and so that was something that you know or he'll and he'll change the system and that's something that Eddie didn't really do just kind of stuck with what we were rolling out there and then you know you brought wood in and it's like okay too little too late it's like maybe you'd like to see if the plan is to swing in balls you you'd want to see a 442 you want to see a wing swap you want to see Newcastle drop a midfielder or a defender or just allow the fullbacks to play higher up the pitch but you didn't really see a lot of that and I think that's just it's an adjustment period it's something that Eddie yeah. Howe's never really had to deal with yeah you know, I would say on the one of, hand since, since the championship really <laughs> we we want to be a team that makes teams change their plan right 
Well, like Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. We want to be the one that does the punching. And I think that's what City was able to do over the time that they transitioned from a middling team to one of the best teams in the world. Um, and we'll get there. I, I love a good simile. Like we're to me, we're like a we're like a we're in the process of a caterpillar to become a butterfly, and we're sort of in the yeah. chrysalis stage. Uh, it's got to get real ugly before it gets beautiful. Um, but we definitely were slow. We were moving inch by inch when we were in the caterpillar stage. Um, right now, you know, we we want to play a certain way, and as supporters, we want our team to play a certain way and look a certain way. But we still have to transition to generating that depth, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about moves that we wish that Eddie Howe could have made. But one, he's he's already hindered by uh, players' avail- availability for selection, and two, depth. So, I mean, when the only attacking option on the bench, I believe, was Murphy at, at that yeah. point, right? You're like, okay, great. Like, what, what the heck else can he do? Um, so, on the one hand, yeah, I definitely think, like, with 20 minutes to go, he should have recognized, hey, this game is going this way. Let me make it go my way. Let's put mm-hmm. something in play that makes them change the way they're bunkering even if they stay bunkering if we put more pieces into the mixer they're gonna have to you know adjust how they come out to the crosses and that will open up space maybe he thought of that maybe he didn't see the players in the bench to address it that way i don't know but long story short elijah is that it's gonna be a couple more windows it's gonna take a couple more windows before we can bring in the Madison, before we can we can bring in, um, you know, the the, and- the, the the second winger that we have those pairs of wingers that are causing that are incredibly dynamic and opening up those channels for the Madisons and for you know and and for Wilson um, hamstring um, be damned, um, you know, and I think that uh, we'll get there. Right now, yeah. the way this season has gone. Um, I think we're okay. I like, I'm not stressed. Like even if we kept at this pace, we'll, we'll stay up. I think. Oh yeah. No, this is, this is like by far, you know, highest collection of points I've seen Newcastle in a while. Give me the first few matches. Give me an easy, give me a comfortable top 12, not, not dropping, not like falling upwards in the last two weeks of the season because the teams around us fell apart, but genuinely just earning that, that number 12, that number 11, 10, uh, 10 spot. Dude, getting into Europe would be great, but let's let's be honest. If we don't have the depth to compete in the Premier League this year, we really don't have the depth to compete um, on two fronts next year. So one step at a time. Every window matters. Bring in two two players every window that can help out until we get to the point where we have the depth to compete in Europe, and then let's worry about that. But right now, give me a cup run and and a comfortable where I don't have to stress out with with a month to go if we're going to get relegated. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this. There, there's a, there's And this will be the final thing I'll say on this match. There's two things. One, I do think with Dan Ashworth, I, I don't understand why there's a sect of Newcastle Twitter that are just like, what has Ashworth done? Like, you have to look at his resume, look at what he's done, in the past and recognize that he's going to be a guy that will help revitalize this system. And um, our good friend Antonio has already written about a player. Definitely check out the, the main site that Newcastle are looking at as like a younger signing for the future, 17 year old Australian, just like stud, you know, that's the kind of things where you, you feel that's how you build depth. It's not only, Hey, 
we need to bring in two guys every window, but it's also like, oh, we've got solid academy prospects as well. Yeah. We've got an Elliot Anderson that is able to play on the bench and, and and play cup matches and allow for us to go on those deep cup runs. Because honestly, I would argue that we're not even at deep cup run level yet because that team, we played an entire team of reserves uh, against a League One or League Two. I can't even remember if they're League no, One or League uh, Two side. So League One, maybe? Two. It's Tran- <laughs> Tranmere Rovers or, yeah, League Two. Yeah, it was a challenge. It shouldn't it have been so challenged. They were they were so physical. That match was so physical, it was embarrassing. Tranmere came out, and they're just like, we're going to push you around because we don't give a shit. And, and, and they did. Forget, they scored first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it's like you didn't – like Newcastle didn't look competent until they had to bring on a first-team play. You had to bring on Kieran Trippier – who should not in any circumstance have to play against League Two opposition. No. He probably was shocked he was on the bench. They had to bring him in. And, and again, it was unfortunate circumstance with Emil Kraft. And, you know, he's out for the season. That's unfortunate. But, yeah, again, yeah. that's like Newcastle didn't look dangerous until that point. And that's that's an issue. When you bring on a right back and that's when you look dangerous, that means, hey, you're not as deep as – and, again, I didn't think Newcastle was deep. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, we're I'm not, realistic, and but we'll get there. That's the thing. <laughs> oh yeah, no. We'll That's the thing is sure. that we're we're not. Uh, there's that argument. We're backed by an immense amount of wealth. It doesn't mean all that money is definitely in the, in the coffers for Newcastle. That just means the ownership group has the access to that type of money if it's spent responsibly with a great plan in place. We can't get dinged by financial fair play. Mm-hmm. We're probably gonna go. We're probably gonna hit this wicket every other podcast episode because it's so imperative to keep that mindset that we can't just go into January and drop a hundred mil to save the season, right? Like we have to depend on these on these players that are on the bench, and Eddie Howe is going to get the best out of them. But but on the other hand, dude, like when we look at where we're at in the table, right? We're tenth. With eight points, we're even on points with Leeds and Bournemouth, who we just played. We've only played against Manchester City and Liverpool. And like, if we can't beat the teams around us in the table, who are we going to beat? Because there's there's a reckoning coming. Like, we're going to end up having to play some of those other top five, six teams. And, um, you know, we've got to pick up the wins now so that those losses don't hurt later if that makes sense yeah and and it's and you got to take advantage of that now because like right now the the top six is and still in a little bit of disarray and it's going to look like that for the next few honestly few weeks up until the world cup just because you know we didn't even mention this but uh thomas tuchel fired as well so second manager to be fired um and that's a whole nother story for another pod and that's a lot to unpack Grand Potter coming into Chelsea, it's not going to be an immediate change for Chelsea to start looking like the sum of of, of the parts they have, of, of the ridiculous amount of talent and amount of money they spent. You know, they still aren't at their best level. Arsenal, we've started to see it's it depends on who they're playing week to week. Manchester United, same thing. Like those teams, you would hope and you would imagine by the time we start to play them later on in the year, or especially in the second half of the season in which because of the World Cup being in the winter, which again, another we could have a whole pot about the ethics of that and the World <laughs> Cup as a whole. Yeah. But uh <laughs> that's a teaser for uh for later. But um just I'm curious it's just it's gonna it's gonna pile up in, in the spring. And so 
it's going to look, it's going to be very interesting to see. Like, I think um, a few, a couple weeks ago, I think uh, Mark Douglas might have tweeted this out that, like, you know, uh, Newcastle have, like, at that point, it was 13 games until the January window, which is wild to think about. Like, right, right. If you think about that, it's like, all right, I mean, still not a large chunk of the season is like, like done by the time we get to January. It's not going to feel like a true halfway point. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think right now Newcastle are akin to like a Wolves a, a couple of seasons ago when they started to really make some noise in which like you knew that they were solid, but definitely not good enough to finish any higher yeah. than like a max Europa spot. And that's like with everything going their way. And if they got to Europa, they weren't going to be prepared. And that's kind of where Newcastle is right now. And like I said, it's 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 years, and they have this the ability to have that sustained investment. They should have the the stability that they need in order to make the right moves. The academy should be in place over the next few years to really produce solid con not solid, not solid con solid uh solid players. You know, be able to loan them out to the right places, et cetera, et cetera. In theory, this all should happen, but again, it's not going to happen overnight. This isn't, and I think it was good for Newcastle fans to see Nottingham Forest do what they did and yeah. realize that it's not, it's not one, it's not possible to just cut, you know, all the dead meat and eat that cost. Like you have to find a home for Matt Ritchie or let his contract play off. You have to find a home for Jacob Murphy. You have to find, like you, you can't just let go of these players um, and just, sign replacements it's not how it's not fifa that's not how, there's implications there's <laughs> ramifications for like if that yeah, occurs yeah um and so yeah i don't know i'm i'm again i'm with you it, it's a few windows and it's it's not going to be champions league football in 2020 no 2024 or, or, or 2025 even it's, but we'll have some good matches in front of us as well i mean as much as the teams like bournemouth are gonna are gonna shut down and i think that they've they've kind of shared the blueprint um, Palace to get a draw, Bournemouth to get a draw. Like you know, these teams that need to bunker down to get that that get that point from us, they probably can. But yeah. you're also going to get teams that might be a little bit more um, curious. I think Fulham is one. I think Fulham. I had to say Fulham is definitely one. They, I think they're Fulham feeling is, themselves right now. I think they are, and I think that makes them more susceptible. To be quite honest with you. Um, we don't play Fulham um, this coming weekend. We play Fulham in in two weeks, right? Yeah. On uh, and and that gives that gives us a chance to get Bruno back to full health. Um, barring any any incident or you know um, exhaustion that may have happened over the international week, uh, but we get Wilson back potentially, um, Alain back, uh, Sven Botman. Uh, you know, it just depends on who's feeling on that back line. Elliot Anderson could come back, and like I said, Bruno back. It could be a whole – we could have the whole squad ready to roll in two weeks against Fulham. And if they're going to try to open up and try to get their their own goals, then I think that's that's where um, Eddie makes his money. And maybe we'll call him Eddie Money, and you know who I'm talking about. If yeah. <laughs> we, Eddie Money going to make his money. So I think exactly. – uh, I think there, I think we'll see. I think we'll see a few more goals out of uh, out of Newcastle against Fulham. Um, yeah, and I think um, I mean I don't want to steal the thunder on this one. Probably what we could do is is we could kick the can down the road on talking about Fulham if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and let's wait and see what players are coming back and and um, what players for them might be out injured, and we could take a look at that in a week if you want. Yeah, yeah, I'd say you know 
we'll 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 take a break. We'll just quickly grace over just a little bit of Fulham, just like 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 Josh just said. You know, it's two weeks away. Maybe just give perspective, and then we'll move into kind of the the, the last couple segments for us. So uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, I guess I guess we could do it right about now. Nice. All right. So uh, uh, Fulham, just quick notes. They're in tenth with eight points, um, even on points with Leeds and Bournemouth. Um, again, like like you said. Uh, oh, sorry. We're in tenth with eight points, and Fulham's in sixth, and they only have eleven points. Um, we're gonna do a more detailed preview um, later on, not now, but that's coming down the road. Um, I think I think the only thing I want to mention about Fulham is, I think this is this this is the this is the Alexander Mitrovic uh, middle fingers up tour so far uh, in the Premier League and. I'm here for it. Good I, for him. I've, I've long been on the Metro as a championship striker train, and I'm I'm happy and man enough to admit that, like, hey, he's proven me wrong, and I, I honestly do hope that he just keeps it up because he's been electric to watch. I've actually been, you know, watching Fulham play, so I'm excited to kind of see him play Newcastle and get his revenge game in. And it, it, it did feel – and someone even asked us on Twitter, you know, is, is, there, is there any – merit into saying that you know Newcastle are not were not the best developing players due to the success of Ivan Tony and Mbabu and Mitrovic and I'm like yeah you could argue for Ivan Tony sure um but again perspective is everything Tony had a ton of opportunities at Newcastle and on yeah. loan and just wasn't cutting it and like that I don't know what you can really do there I think Brentford took a chance on him and and he, you know, he 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 just developed elsewhere. That that Where happened. Where did he come? He was it. Was he at Peterborough before he came? He went up yeah, to he was at Peter, yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, he, again. And who would who would know? I think what happened with 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 Tony is not as not a swing and a miss by Newcastle. I think there was a, a good um, evaluation of his potential as a first team player, and they looked at the the amount of players that were allowed on a roster and just said, right now we. We we see you, but we're you know we're a, a Premier League team. We're not a, a, a championship or or a, a League One team. You'd be yeah. better off. And I think he took that message. He said, "Okay, message received." He went down to the he went down to the third division with Peterborough, and um, was mad. He's yeah. mad. I think he I, yeah. I I think he's where he is now because he was angry. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, you want to tell me I can't do it." You know, and it, it's, it's his it's middle a, fingers up too, is what it is. It's it, his yeah, middle finger there's, there's there's certain players who like need that in order to in order yeah. to to truly become who they they are. I mean that that's so I, I don't really feel that bad about Tony because I remember how like he had so many opportunities in Newcastle and Babu maybe because I feel like he didn't have nearly the amount of opportunities that uh, Tony had, but Mitrovic like he he started for Newcastle. Like, yeah, he, he was our guy. But we uh, and, never. I'll and, tell you what. I'll tell you what. As watching, as watching Mitrovic, I never questioned his ability to score. Mm-hmm. I questioned his composure as an individual, yes. or as a professional, and it mm-hmm. was always red card. It was red card Mitru. I mean, you go out there, and at any given minute, he get out and just you know he could kick somebody as hard as he was going to kick the ball, draw a red, and then we're down a player. He was he compromised the the team while he was out there he he instead of being an asset he he you know he was um 
you know, he was in uh, an injury waiting to happen, not, and not a personal injury, but like an affront to another team. And so, um, you know, I was happy for him when he ended up at Fulham. I've always cheered him on and you, and anyone who's a Fulham supporter would also tell you for the first couple of years there, it was rough because he, because he did the same thing when he got there, something changed last year. He grew up. What is he? 27, 28 now. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's something it, just it insane. It's, clicked. That's part of it for sure. And I do think there was there was also a level of at Newcastle. One thing that I remember clearly was like pretty open knowledge that he just like was not able to receive tactical instructions well from Rafa Benitez and Co. And it kind of showed itself when he was playing. He just wasn't as as on the same page as everyone else in the squad and. That, that, you know, in the championship, you can kind of get away with that because if you're just purely a better player, like it will show, like that just shows yeah. at times, yeah. uh, especially with the amount of play, games you play with the the range of, of quality and opponents. Like that just happens. But in the Premier League, like if you are not, you know, up to snuff tactically, like you can cost your team a, a match, you, you you look bad on the pitch, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt like that was a lot of the case in Mitchell as well, in addition to the maturity issues. But again, it seems like, so far this season, he's just been unreal. And, like, it does feel like he has the talent around him to really succeed. And I'm not going to say he's going to push for the golden boot or anything like that. I think I have a friend of mine who's a Mitrovic lover and is like, he's going to win the golden boot. And then Holland came to the Premier League. And, uh, yeah, good uh, luck. He proved every, he proved, I'll say this, he proved every analytics guy wrong because every analytics guy was going through. Bundesliga, you know, strikers versus when they come to the Premier League and all that other jazz. And, and I was like, ah, this makes sense on paper. Sure. But he got that dog in him. And yeah, these are, but those, I will tell you what, those are analysts that did not watch Dortmund for the last couple of years. Um, and, and if we've talked about the accessibility of streaming of the Premier League, um, if you've got ESPN Plus, you're watching Dortmund, you know, week in and week out, even if you hate them. Like, even if yeah. you're a, if you're a Bayern Munich fan, um, Dortmund is on, you're watching them. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, my other team is FC San Pauli, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it's a Svita Bundesliga team. Why would I ever watch, you know, the Bundesliga? It was to watch this beast of a human play his football at, at, um, at Dortmund and was a monster in that league. Absolutely. Yeah. Like he could, he could pair up with anybody. It only took him a week to get settled into England yeah. And I'll tell you and yeah. I will tell you why. And I'll tell you why it clicks for him. He's playing for the best tactical manager in the world. And City have already filled that team with De Bruyne and and um I mean if if you need if you're a if you're a pure finisher like that, all you need is a couple a couple guys that can read your body language and know where you're going to be. They and they pass it to where he's going to be and he just finishes what's in front of him. He's an absolute monster, and he's going to get the golden boot. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, that's it's not even it's it's not even a a question at this point um, because uh, he he's he the the pace he's at he's got eleven goals in seven matches in the Premier League. That's 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 unreal. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like single season uh, record like pace. Um, but yeah, they've got so many players with a in, insane amount of talent from De Bruyne to Ike Gundogan. Wow, Gundogan. Yeah, I, I can't even say his name, and I took 
10 years of German. So that's embarrassing. Yeah, it's Turkish. So it'll, it'll save you, save your yeah. blushes. Yeah, Grealish, Foden. I mean, it's just they've got no, they're, they're stacked. They're stacked. Yeah. And they're I stacked. Mean, and it was like very much last season. It was all because uh, Man City famously uh, just could not get goals from the number nine position. And so sure. the Holland move made sense. And to defend the analytics guys, because I do have respect for the analytics folks, on paper, what they were saying made a lot of sense. Okay. Well, as someone who's watched the Bundesliga for a long time as well, of like, especially when if you're American and we're interested in, in soccer, you've been watching the Bundesliga for years because we had Christian Pulisic there and then there was Gio Reyna and there's just always been Americans cycling in and out of Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. So that was typically until very recently, one of the only places you could see Americans play consistently outside of MLS. Um, and there is, there is some merit to like, they play at just a higher line in Bundesliga. And so there's a lot more space in behind for counters and Holland did score a lot of counterattacking goals. And like, that's the same case with Timo Werner and like, why he had didn't work out at Chelsea and yet like at RB Leipzig he's scoring goals left and right. It's like it, there is there is some merit to like there is a drop off typically in production from uh, Bundesliga to Premier League, especially with goal scoring. But Holland is different. He's, is. he's got that dog in him, and it's like you look at Champions League goals. He's doing it against literally everyone. He just cannot miss from you know six yards. Ten, honestly, ten yards in or. 10 meters sure whatever measurement you want to use sure he doesn't miss um so yeah so anyway all that to say because uh, that was an aside uh excited yeah. to see how Mitrovic <laughs> does against Newcastle that will probably be um another just really good test for this back line yeah uh, who uh, Eddie Howe's proved a lot of the haters wrong I think given his previous history at Bournemouth of like not being the best defensive coach Newcastle have been a pretty formidable defensive side uh, with a very solid back line of very respectable players. Um, and speaking of respectable players, that kind of takes us into our next little bit. Um, we have an international break. Um, <laughs> Josh, like, what are your thoughts on on the international break? I think in general, in general, I used to really love international soccer. Um, it was my first love, right? And so mm-hmm. I watched, as we kind of spoke about last pod, um, I had just started watching the Premier League in 94, 95, and I went to the 94 World Cup and I was selling Cokes at Stanford Stadium, right? So, I mean, there was this whole like awakening period in 1994 of me and soccer with posters of prominent players on my wall, et cetera, et cetera. I fell in love with the national team. Um, it was it was a real point of pride and I loved that team. Um, and I watched a lot of FIFA. And then I would say... Um, when the world cup went to South Africa, I was really into it. Right. I went out and I bought the Panini sticker books and all that stuff. That was one for me right there. I had a Venezuela. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) one of the fallouts from that though, was it was the first, I was right about when I started listening to podcasts. Right. So that's night. Uh, 2010 is probably like when, I first got Stitcher and I started like just streaming mm. podcasts. And one of them was world football was world football daily, or it was uh, beyond the pitch or something like that. Like a, mm. a real, there was a real good show called beyond the pitch. It might still actually be out there somewhere. And, uh, there was a guy named Anto 
Mm-hmm. And, and Anto would bring on really interesting guests. And, and one of them started talking about the investigation of FIFA and how much corruption is involved in FIFA behind the scenes. And it really turned it really turned me. Um, and uh, look, we've talked about the, uh, to accumulate the amount of wealth to run a football team at the highest level, like nobody's hands are clean. But yeah. the way that FIFA is run and what they did to to South Africa um, to to build these stadiums um, and the and the wake of destruction and like and, and poverty that was left it behind. Um, yeah. And then, you know, to fur- furthermore, I mean, the, the same experience, they didn't even learn. They did the same thing to Brazil. Right. Yeah. And so as much as I want to root for these teams, I, I have a real hard time rooting for FIFA to be successful with their their ventures with 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 the World Cup. But I would say also in in that time as processing this as a soccer fan, um, I like my club and I see international friendlies as an opportunity for my club players to get hurt, not an opportunity for them to get better. Um, And I and, and I failed to look at it from their perspective. I always looked at it as a supporter from a, a supporter, a club supporter perspective as this is not the highest, this is not the best football in the world. Like the, the Spanish team at the height of the Spanish team success, Barcelona was still a superior team than the, than the Spanish national team, right? Yeah. Barcelona would have beat the Spanish national team like eight times out of 10 had they played yeah. Right. And so the best football on the planet was not, international football was club football. And I still feel that way. Like, you know, you could take, you could take PSG and PSG. Well, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't say it. PSG could not beat the French national team. Could it? Yeah. French national team is a different gravy. Yeah, it is a different gravy. (laughs) Um, So maybe, but, but my, my point is that I have always been concerned. Well, at least for the last decade that my favorite players would get hurt well out on national team duty. And, and, in just the last year or so, despite the World Cup being in uh, Qatar um, and and all of the humanitarian issues that that brings up um, and all the all the blood that's on the hands of FIFA, I'm actually interested in this World Cup from a sporting event perspective. And I'm actually looking forward to watching the games because my perspective on that has changed to, uh, and I heard an interview uh, with players. They view it as the ultimate like sign of accomplishment. They have now reached peak player when they get called to national team duty. It's the rarest air that they can breathe as a, as a footballer. And so for them, that's an honor. And if I can look at it from their perspective, that they are playing at the highest level that they could possibly accomplish. Maybe I need to appreciate that and watch the spectacle just for the sake of football and uh, anyway, I'm torn. Long story short, there's all of that right yeah. to digest. And listeners, I appreciate your patience with me. I'm a torn man. I go in all these different directions, <laughs> right? Yes. But but what that leads me to is, um, I'm often neutral yeah. when I'm watching national na- national teams play. So I don't really like, and I'm also like, I think I'm only third generation American, mm-hmm. right? And so I have like Welsh blood and Norwegian and German and uh french and you know like i'm a mutt and so i don't yeah. really have a favorite second maybe i'll root for wales but wales is playing against the united states so am i really yeah, rooting for Wales? like i don't know so i'm rooting for no injuries and the best possible matchups that's what i want to see yeah I, I do think um 
I think there there's a uniquely American perspective to um, the World Cup as well. I mean, we could I think we could do a whole podcast, and honestly, wouldn't be opposed to doing this because my, I mean, part of my my foray into sport management research was was research on the Olympics, so mega events and how detrimental that could be to a potential host city or host nation. And yeah, like, so you get it. Could, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we could do a crazy cool pod just talking about world cup and just like controversy scandals like thoughts on it um that's not for for this pod but i i will say um i do think part of like the appeal of the world cup for a lot of fans outside of the like nationalism aspect which is the main appeal for most people although if people want to admit that or not like the reason people are so into the world cup is that there's that sense of pride in, in, in your country and the product that you put on the pitch. Again, that's a deeper conversation about like nationalism and all that kind of stuff that people you know, may want to hear on a different pod, but not on this one. Um, but I think what's been fascinating to me is that people are always like talking about the upsets and the magical runs. And it's like every single league in American sports is set up like this. So for me, like, the tournament itself, if this makes sense, is not as exciting as like, you know, me seeing the growth of like the US men's national team program for for for, for reference. Like, I'm gonna be frank, like I don't think US men's national team will make a deep run and I'm gonna watch the World Cup because I you know it's it's like an all-star, you know, it's a it's a bunch of all-star games, like all-star teams from each country. Um but to be honest, like there's a lot of excitement about oh man, like, you know, Japan upset, you know, Belgium or, or I don't think Belgium's in the World Cup this year, but this Japan upset England like in the round of 16. That's so crazy and so wild. And it's like, I am an American. I have March Madness. Like <laughs> I saw, I saw like UMBC, like a, a, you know, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, like make a magical uh, run in, in, in the, the collegiate, you know, basketball championship. So for me, like, I know that's a lot of people love seeing the upsets and love seeing the tournament format because in so many, you know, European sports, like that's not the that's not the format they're used to. There's no, you know, one and done playoff system. It's just very much like you've got your cup matches, and that's like the closest you get to that. For yeah, the but those part, are good too, though. Like that no, French Cup, that French Cup. I mean, they've got teams that are flying in from like, yeah, from, no, <laughs> yeah, from yeah, the Caribbean, I, right? So yeah. Yeah, so but that's when, wild. When too. It's always held in a lower regard than the league itself, then it never feels as important. So when the most uh, important yeah. tournament that's available is that knockout format, I think it does hit different for people. It's the same reason, like, you know, Champions League right now is is whatever, but like when it gets to, you know, around a sixteen, like it's people way really different. start paying attention, they they check in because yeah. you know, the biggest trophy in, in European domestic football is knockouts. And for Americans, and I feel like my friends sort of feel the same, like every single season of every single sport ends with the same sort of tournament. So it's like, we're used to this. We're used to upsets. We're used to, you know, teams going to these cup runs. And yeah, it's exciting, but it's it's not nearly to the same level of excitement that I think our, our European and, and, and counterparts of, of other countries feel. So that being said, um, I am a big U.S. men's national team fan, but I, I really, really must more because I enjoy the players. I resonate with the players and who knows how I'll feel in 10 years right now. I'm at a stage in which I'm 25. A lot of the players, like I feel like I grew up with them in the sense of like, 
yeah. we were all like when Kristen Pulisic was was seventeen. I was I was around the same age. Like it, so, it, it, it there's a little bit of that bias as well. Of like I was telling Joshua, I see myself in Weston McKinney because we're both kind of goofy, same vibes. Like what he brings to the national team is what I bring to a team at work. Like those vibes, get stuff done, do the dirty work, but also like I'm a goofball, I'm a goof around, that kind of stuff. So. I personally like the Swiss national team more so because I like the players more than like anything right now. And I, I appreciate those that. players to, 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 to succeed and experience success. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's my perspective. Um, and thank you for appreciating that, Josh. Uh, Man, I think that's super cool. Like I know I have friends. It's interesting that you say that because I have friends that are um, younger than me and I think they, they really connect with players. And I wonder if the difference generationally between me as a middle Gen Xer um, and you, <clears throat> I'm going to assume would refer to as a millennial. Uh, I'm Gen Z. You're Gen Z. Fact, there we go. I'm, on there the we cusp. Go. I'm 97. So I'm like in that zillennial is what they call it. You got it. Uh, yeah. I think the difference is accessibility, right? Yeah. When I was a kid, all my favorite players, you got to listen to 30 second sound bites post-match. You get to collect the top baseball or the top soccer cards, the Panini yeah. stickers, and the posters. And the only information that we had about these players was information that was released either by the mainstream media or uh, via print, right? Uh, art articles that would be in Kids Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we learned about Alexi Lalas. It's yeah. it's why we didn't learn to not agree or to agree with his political, um, you know, comp- yeah. the political part of him until later on in life when that became accessible. Yeah. Um, we didn't learn about, um, you know, some of the events regarding certain wives and uh, fellow players until <laughs> until later when that information was accessible. Um, and so when I hear you say you really connect with the players that I think that's great because you probably are able to follow them on Instagram or you're probably able to listen to interviews uh, regularly that they have at the club level. You know, when I was when I was a kid, man, I didn't even know that every single country in Europe had a league. Yeah. Isn't that insane? It, it, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's the nature of sporting as a whole. Like there, it's just more accessible and it's like, yeah. I, it that that's you know behind the scenes like people love that content and so like you know you really kind of start to fall in love with personalities i mean hard knocks is a perfect example of this in, in the nfl space of like people fall in love with teams and players because like you get this all access behind the scenes look at them in training and seeing their personalities outside of you know like you said for the most part in the past what you got was whatever you saw in the field and then interviews afterwards like that that's it and when you have an interview it's a canned answer it's it's very methodical in how you speak it's not like your true self and you know i feel like i know weston mckinney because i've seen videos of him trying to explain to cialini a legend in italian soccer and as italian as you could possibly get that ranch belongs on pizza and so like that's something that I don't think Joshua's ever experienced with like a Landon Donovan or Clint Dempsey or anything like that. Like we are just now starting to see the personalities of a Landon Donovan or Alexi Lawless or yeah. Sue Holden or, or any of the guys from the, from the past or, or Hercules Gomez is another great example of a guy who just like has entered the, he was an MLS, you know, long time mainstay and is now has entered the media space. And it's like, all right, I really, I didn't care that much about Hercules Gomez, the Sounders player, but 
I care about him as the person now because I love how passionate he is about he American is. soccer, yeah. Mexican soccer, and like growing the game and how like that stuff we just actually never had. So um, yeah, all that being said, uh, to get to a Newcastle. Oh um, yes, to, yes. Yeah, we, the reason we we're here, Newcastle. Uh, so uh, we got we got a couple things to talk about. So first and foremost, um, we'll just quickly breeze through some of the call ups. We had the usuals with Cher, Lewis. Fraser Almarone uh, doing their respective nations. Share with Switzerland, Lewis, Northern Ireland, Fraser with Scotland, Almarone with Paraguay. Mm-hmm. These are when I, I'm in, I'm in the, the boat of Josh of, you know, don't think Scotland's in the World Cup. Ireland's not in the World Cup. Paraguay's not in the World Cup. Switzerland might be. I don't have everything in front of me. But, right. you know, of those four guys, at a minimum, three of them are – are playing meaningless, like completely meaningless matches. They, they're not preparing for the World Cup. Uh, and then, so that that's where I, I'm, I'm kind of siding with you there. I'm like, all right, I don't think Miguel Rodriguez I just hope it's Bolivia. You know, I just hope <laughs> yeah. Miggy doesn't, you know, fingers crossed, no one gets hurt. We and can't Miggy's afford been it. one who's who's been injured for, I mean, it's, people don't talk about it. He's gotten injured a couple of times on duty for Paraguay. Uh, and it's And that was back when he was, one of the better players at Newcastle. So uh, it, it is a little concerning. Um, so, and then in addition to that, uh, I know this is newer kind of to put on the radar for people who are just wake up and want to watch international friendlies. Um, Bruno uh, is, is been called up for Brazil. I do think he's kind of vying for a starting position, uh, really hammering down a starting position as number eight for Brazil, just insanely talented crop of midfielders. At our Brazil, we don't need to go into too much detail, but if he cements himself as a starter or a key player, that only does numbers for Newcastle. And Alexander Isak is the future of Swedish football. I don't really think that's uh, up for debate. So he's going to be in action as well. We'll see if uh, in the future we see Isak at a World Cup. And then on the U21 side, uh, Elliot Anderson and Lucas DeBoer are going to Scotland. There were rumors that Sven Botman got called up for Netherlands U21, not the, the, the legit team and backed out uh, because he wanted to spend his time at Newcastle. I'm not going to say those rumors are true or not because I personally haven't confirmed them, but that was what, that is what has been floating around on Twitter from various journalists. And then last but not least, Nick Pope and Karen Trippier, both vying for spots uh, for the England national team in the same yeah. group as the U S. And so really quickly, um, just Josh, quick thoughts on, Will they play this week? You know, do you think long term do they have a spot at, at, in the World Cup on the World Cup roster for for England? Yeah. So if if I was taking a look at the English schedule earlier, and I believe that the Friday match versus Italy is a part of their Europa Conference or whatever they're calling it, um, UEFA National League, that thing. Yeah, and I think that's not. That's basically still friendlies. <laughs> yeah, but I think the intent was to give it some sort of some sort of meaning um their it last work though it's still right. treated like friendlies because it's it's the same pace as friendlies it's yeah. like so far most teams they this friendlies they actually schedule are just non-european opponents like i think austria or switzerland played the u.s and outside of that they everything else was uefa nations league for them <laughs> yeah uh, I think that they'll get a match. L- long story short, I think the boys yeah. will get in, and I think the reason is there's no, there's no, there's nothing to lose, um, yeah. and you know, and and I think it'd be really good uh, for Southgate to see. Um, to for me, from my personal opinion, I think Nick Pope could be the English starter in the World Cup. Yeah, I was um, going to say that. I think 
Nick Pope is the one where I think Trippier he could make the squad, and I think that's one of yeah. those you need a, you need some leaders in the locker room for a relatively young England side. And I would say the same about America, but again, yeah. different conversation altogether. Yeah. But Nick Pope is that's a genuine maybe Southgate should look at competition for that number one spot because there's nothing about Pickford for me. And this is me taking the Newcastle hat off and just saying I watch Pickford as an Everton keeper or as a national team keeper for England. And there's not a lot from me that inspires confidence in a surefire. This is our guy there. He's not a De Gea. He's not a Neuer. He's not a Buffon. He's not a uh, Donnarumma. He like, he's not a guy where it's like, all right, he's clearly number one. There's still a a large question mark uh, in terms of just like his ability, whether it's his size or decision-making or, or brash. Like, I don't, I don't know what you want to call it, but I think there's an opportunity for Nick Pope, who has been consistently very good for both England and in the Premier League, to, to be vying for that number one spot. Yep. Yeah. I, you said it all. You said it yeah. all. I think Trippier is, uh, I think he's a squad player. Um, I think if there's anything that England has a lot of, it's right backs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, but he's, he's a dynamic player, but he's a team, he's a team guy and he's a good locker room presence. And, uh, on, on honestly, I think this could be his last, his last opportunity. Right. So, um, yeah. I think, oh, and, and, and last thing I'll say about that is that Gareth Southgate is very dedicated to the guys that he likes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he, if he knows this is Kieran's last big hurrah and he has a spot on the bus, he's going to get him on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think. And again, um, you, you can you can make the justification as well as like set piece specialist and he did that for England in the Euros as well. Um, you know, it's a pen penalty guy. He you know he he and again veteran presence, great leader, all of that. Uh, and again, still fairly young squad with you know like a Phil Foden, a Mason Mount, um, like Harry Kane is is emerging as you know kind of the captain and leader of that team. Even you could even say there's maturity issues with like a Pickford or something like that. Like for the most part, you know, it's it's Harry Maguire and Harry Kane as your locker room leaders, and so I think you need another voice that you know is is just a, a consummate professional in, in every way. And and I do think that Trippier is is, yeah. is going to fit in well in, in that role. And you know, he could get playing time in the World Cup. You know, um, there could be an opportunity in which. I still think of the right backs, he's probably the best defender, uh, just given the, tr- the 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 trend of fullbacks uh, in modern football right now. He's probably the best defensive right back England has uh, in their in their pool of right backs. Uh, so, and again, another discussion for another time. So, I do think that he also has a spot there as as defensive cover. Um, and then, lastly, let's get into uh, something that we definitely want to continue to cover and and keep covering. Uh, Newcastle women's team. Uh, Josh, you got an update for the women's team? Yeah, they uh, recently drew uh, 1-1 with Charlie. I believe they played at Kingston Park Stadium. Um, different atmosphere uh, than, than playing at St. James's Park, but yeah. um, but definitely um, I know you know from, from the Twitterverse, a, a lot of heads are going a lot more. I've been following this team for a couple years, so yeah. um, a sh- shout out to uh, um, uh, to Toon Army PDX, um, you know, a couple of members of the Toon Army in Portland have been sponsoring players on the women's yeah. side before they were fully integrated into the club. Um, so we just, it's in our heart to follow this team because we've, we've put our money where our mouth is and we've sponsored yeah. these players for years to get kits to the point where, you know, Ashley wasn't even paying for the women to have to be fully kitted out. 
Yeah, um, it was a part. They were technically a, a sub a subsidiary of the foundation. It's ridiculous. I'm so glad that they're going to be in a much better place going forward. Um, they're second place in the WPL Division One North on ten points from five played. They really, it's not. They're playing their their hearts out. Okay, they're doing they're doing well uh, to draw one one against a team that they everyone had the expectation that they should win at home. I mean that sounds oddly familiar to what the men had done this week. So they're yeah. right on par with what the men's team are doing. But the nature of their league, their division is only one team gets promoted. There's yeah. no there's no playoff. There's no final. It's the table topper goes up. That's it. And, yeah. and and they missed it by I think they missed it by a point last year. Yeah, um, it was close last year. Yeah, and so we want them. Uh, we want to wish them the very best. Their next match is this weekend away to Nedelum, Um, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and it's in the FA's uh, WNL Cup, so it's not a league match; it's a cup match. But um, it should be exciting nonetheless. Give them a follow on Twitter right now. And I think we've discussed this. Maybe we, you and I haven't discussed this, but streaming rights are are streaming. As you mentioned, streaming is difficult in the UK. Um, and I think getting streams out to the US, this is one that we just are not privy to quite yet. So yeah. the best way to follow the team is on Twitter. Um, and the players, again, there's this high level of accessibility. The players, you can follow them personally. And I've yeah, had a few of them interact with me because yeah. for them, they're fourth division amateur women. I think that they're, they're paid now, but yeah, but they're, you know, that, that step up in professionalism isn't again, it's going to take a few windows, a few years, and we will see some of our very favorite amateur players probably head over to other local teams as they start to onboard professional higher level or more experienced players. But my hope is that they keep some of these amateur players on because they have earned, they have fought for that team and they have earned their place uh, on the pitch. Yeah. And uh, women's football has been one even more so with men where money has talked. Some of the best players in the world are just going to the teams that will pay them the most. And even then, when you look at how much they're getting paid, it's not even that much. Uh, the, the, the women's league in the U.S., I wouldn't say it's been decimated but you can definitely see more of an influx of of talent leaving that league than it was in, in i honestly what four or five years ago when that was the best league in the world so uh, every club in europe has started to really heavily invest in women's football so that's only good for the sport in my opinion um yeah and so i'm curious to see how how this shakes out for newcastle and uh what what they end up doing uh, i think like you said it's a couple more seasons uh it just was announced like a few weeks ago that uh, that they were officially in the club system for Newcastle and, you know, having their salaries covered by the club and having their staff paid for by the club, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, hopefully they gain promotion and then you're, you're in a, you're in a, a pretty spot, a pretty decent spot in, in, I guess that'd be tier three. And so now you, you've, you've got a little bit more, opportunity to to make it into the top two divisions of women's football and who knows maybe that that expands over the next couple of years as more and more women's teams start to form uh, and they really build out that pyramid so a uh, fair play to the uk for for trying to build out the pyramid and fair play to a lot of the teams uh for heavily investing um in, in women's football i know arsenal chelsea uh and even spurs i think are, are some of the the, the key teams I've noticed that have made a lot of moves uh, mm-hmm, regarding mm-hmm. women's football in the, in the past two seasons. So yeah, um, 
that is the update for the women's team. We will definitely keep y'all locked in uh, on what they're doing throughout the season. Um, we will try, and this is a promise, we will try to, to to see if there's any way we could get them, get a player on the podcast. It's going to be difficult because I think now we're, what are we, eight hours behind them? <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll find a way. We'll find a way. You and I are in the same yeah. time zone, um, and I for am now. willing for now. I'm willing to stay up. I'm willing to stay up or get up early or whatever we got to do to accommodate yeah. a player. So uh, yeah. we can, we'll make it happen. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, well, I know that was that was that was a longer episode, but you get to split it up over a week or so. Um, so that's been CHN Radio. Uh, that was Josh. I'm Elijah. Thank you all for listening. Away the lads, and uh, you know what? We we love you guys. Like sitting inside a fridge But I wish I was on the case side Looking at the old time bridge I'm coming home, Newcastle I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll need for a bottle of your own brown hill I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park If the Gallagher tend in the rain I'm coming home To be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're bawdy and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self pity and we're not so very tough. Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had it tough as rough. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wing. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the river time. I'm coming home. Newcastle, I wish I'd never been a weird. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother saying, Hey, how we I'm coming home. And I miss the old blind busker who stands at Phoenix door. He plays a mean accordion, you've all seen him there before. And I love the Jody heroes, there's so many famous names Like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gates at Games I'm coming home, Newcastle, I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail I'm coming home, Newcastle, if you never win the cup again I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park at the Gallagher's end in the rain I'm coming home, Newcastle You can keep your London wing I'd walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of the river tide I'm coming home, Newcastle I wish I'd never been away I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound And me mother seen any how I'm coming home, Newcastle I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown nail I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again I'll brave the dog It's in James's pocket The Gallagher's end in the rain I'm coming